You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSDS Radio Hour. Glad to have you with us today. Another, well, I can't say it's a bright, sunshiny day because it's raining in a lot of places, including here. So, uh, hope you're having a good day, though. It's always good to have people join us on Monday morning when they're getting into the work week. And much like me, I suppose, trying to figure out how they're going to get everything done they're supposed to do. Um, then at the end of the week, when it doesn't get done, I guess we look at it and say, okay, maybe next week. Seems that way, at least. I don't know. My guest today is Tony Nettleman. Thank you for joining me, Tony. Hi, Kurt. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm sure in the metropolis of Sparta, North Carolina, you don't ever have those issues of wondering how the week's going to go. Well, you know, sometimes uh, you have a big project and you get started, you just work on it, but other times you have lots of little things. And I really prefer the big projects where, where I can think about it as opposed to 10 million little things which just drive you crazy. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and, and, of course, in our profession, we have those kind of things come and go all the time, but it, it always seems as though the ones that seem like they should be the most simple oftentimes turn out not to be the most simple, or at least demand more of your time than you anticipated. Absolutely, and the fun part about being a surveyor is that you never know what's going to happen. You know, who's going to call today? And you have this great plan for the week, and then who knows what's going to happen, but something shows up. I had a, a solar company call me last month, and they were in a dispute as to what is true north. And that was a very interesting question. Yeah, that's that's a, an interesting one to try to answer in layman's terms. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and even the surveyors didn't know. They had five different any, surveyors. In terms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that the the one of the surveyors was using too many significant digits and the you know 18 significant digits was causing a 6 degree deviation when it didn't really exist and you think wow that's interesting i've never seen a real world example of significant digits before that was it yeah that's and you there, there are probably many people among us who who never hear that question <laughs> and we just sort of uh go with with where things are and you know one of the things that that i've always found interesting for well you've you've got experience in other locations of the country where i really don't all of my time has been spent in virginia maryland north carolina area in terms of in west virginia surveying um but uh it's always interesting to talk to fellow surveyors and and even if you're working on projects where you encounter them for some reason just to hear varying perspectives on pretty much anything <laughs> yeah there, there there seems to be no cut and dried answer to everything and maybe that's why we love it so much yeah i think so and you know we get this varying answer because you know in one state surveying requires a high school degree another state requires a two-year and a third state it's a, it's a bachelor's and then the experience, you know, two years experience, four years experience, eight years experience before you get a license. So you've got this, you know, cornucopia of different skills and techniques and knowledge. And it's every, it causes a larger disparity in results when you have people from different backgrounds. It's just impossible to reconcile sometimes. 
Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, another thing that comes up in conversation related to that um, education experience, all those kind of things, is seems to me that we're hearing more often these days from government in a lot of cases at, at every level. Um, why is it that if somebody holds a license in one place, they can't practice in another? Isn't it all the same? Um, and it seems as though that argument's getting stronger and stronger as we go ahead. And some of it has to do with this desire for portability. As, you know, I'm sure you're aware there's a lot of legislation out there that's trying to uh, arrange for for better portability of licensure and not inhibit people. And, of course, we in the serving profession always kind of argue against that just because uh, there are <laughs> peculiarities from place to place. Um so I'm not, it's going to be interesting to see how the, all that evolves over the next period of time. I'm not sure how long it'll be, but there seems to be more of a groundswell among those who are not part of our profession to ask those questions about why. You know, what, why, why can't you be a car mechanic in one state and do the same thing in another state? So if you can do that, why can't you do surveying? Yeah, and I'm a cynic. You know, I, I'm a cynic about everything, including surveying. And it's just amazing to think that I met a guy who's an engineer, and he got his engineering license in one state, and he transferred it to 36 other states. He's a licensed engineer in 37 states, and he basically paid a fee and took maybe like a one-hour ethics exam in some cases. But it was very easy to transfer your civil engineering license between different states. And in surveying... It takes a Ph.D. to know how to transfer it. You know, I advise people on how to transfer their licenses, and sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it takes, you know, two years and several thousand dollars to do it. And you say, well, sometimes it's different, like Texas is a weird state, but if you're going from Oklahoma to New Mexico, I mean, what's what's the real difference here? Yeah, and I think, Probably in, uh, and again, I'm speaking somewhat uh, unintelligent about the whole thing in terms of, of characteristics, but it seems as though um, that whole concept of local localization started and maybe is even more, um, not necessary is the right word, but perceived necessary. Uh, along the eastern seaboard where the colonies were and things were done differently. There was no uniform way of doing anything. And then with public land states, of course, the the underlying framework is the same. That doesn't necessarily mean that the idiosyncrasies from one place to the other are the same. Um, but that that's going to be continue to be a discussion, I think, over time. And, and I think with this... Uh, I don't know if awareness is the right word, but certainly the emphasis of of making things more uniform uh, will continue. I, I just don't know what, it, what it's going to end up doing with the profession in the long run. I think you're right, Kurt. You know, uh, New Mexico just came up with this uh, governor's order a few months ago telling the New Mexico board that they've got to figure some way to easily transfer in out-of-state licenses for basically no money and no exam or a simple exam. And I'm kind of surprised because I've never known a governor that even knew what a land surveyor was. And I'm almost tickled that they're trying to help us out because, you know, 
one minute they don't know what a land surveyor is, the next minute they're trying to reduce the fees and exams. I guess I'll take any help I can get. Yeah, and, and I think we are seeing more of that, actually. Um, discussion of it, no, not necessarily any actual um, uh, issues, but I, a while back there was a, a try, an attempt in the upper Midwest, in the Dakotas and a few other states, by at least one of the governors to almost create a consortium, if you will, of states where you could do cross-border practice. I, I don't really know how that ever turned out. Uh, I know there's a lot of discussion about it there for a while, but I don't, I don't remember hearing how it actually turned out. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, a lot of states are similar. You know, Oklahoma versus Arkansas, public land states. There are, you know, idiosyncrasies, but I think maybe an online course which people take, you know, where they can learn about the, you know, Alabama versus Georgia. Well, Alabama has some great resources like the Faircloth Notes and Alabama set half mile posts and a lot of times did not set quarter sections and eight and eight sections. So there are some small idiosyncrasies, but you know, could we make this cheaper cheaper and easier as opposed to a major process? Yeah, and like you said, that's that's something that will continue on. It's at, at my age, that probably won't be solved uh, before before I'm out of the whole picture. <laughs> but uh, it it may come along, and I, and I don't know if solved is the right word to use. But some accommodation made uh, to please those who think there ought to be issues or there should be changes in the way we do things. Well, sure. we're we gonna have a short. We have a we have a short early segment because we got a little bit of a late start. So let's go ahead and take our break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for QuickStakes today. And if you haven't ordered your samples, do it. Do it today. 800-438-0387. And uh, if you have ordered them, you like them, we'll order some more. That's Quick Stakes. They'll save your back every time. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back, everyone, to NSPS Radio Hour. Joining me today, Tony Nettleman. You know, Tony, we got into that conversation about uh, the licensing structures and 
uh, maybe talking about a little bit of the heritage of our profession and how we came along. And it occurred to me when we were having that conversation, I really haven't shared with the audience uh, your heritage, which I assume a number of our listeners will know. But um, just for those who don't know, you might chat a little bit about uh, your your heritage in the surveying profession through your through your granddad. Well, Kurt, it's a funny story. Uh, I got started surveying when I was in uh, middle school, um, really almost uh, 20 years ago now, uh, with my grandfather, Walt Robillard. He's a surveyor and attorney. And a lot of people learn surveying the hard way. You know, you, you're out cutting line for five years of your life, and then you realize you need to upgrade and get a license because, you know, you can't stand being cut every day. And I think that's how you learned, right? That's how I began, yeah. I ended up going to school eventually, but that was my beginning. That's great. Well, I really learned to survey more on the, um, on the not the technical, but the legal side. And as part of a lot of these boundary disputes I was involved in, and, you know, the Indian tribes in New York, Hawaii, Virgin Islands, other places as a kid, uh, I got to do a lot of field surveying as part of that for the, for the um, field surveys in the court cases. So it, it's been a really uh, a great gift to be able to learn the legal, the technical, and the business side of a small business all at the same time with Walt. So I'm very blessed. Yeah, and you're, you're so right about that legal side because so many folks, and me included, when you get into the legal side of it, it's almost accidental. I mean, <laughs> you're... If you're if you're just working uh, for a company or or even after you get a license at some point, you don't necessarily get into um, legal disputes and those kind of things on a regular basis, uh, or even trying to uh, look at old casework. So that that had to be a great advantage for you to come through that side of it and and have a good understanding of it going going in, so to speak, to uh, to practice. Sure, definitely, and I've learned what not to do because uh, I've had to either watch or actually testify against uh, so many land surveyors for things like, you know, not holding original monuments or, you know, using a grid north instead of a true north or other kinds of things or, um, you know, not researching easements when they do a boundary survey. So I'm very careful because I've seen the consequences of, of mistakes or even small discrepancies. And it's kind of scary because, you know, the chances of you, the surveyor, being sued for your work are very small. But when it happens, it's a bad, it's just a bad experience all around. Yeah, that, that is so true. So you're um, located in Sparta, North Carolina now. and uh, Yes, sir. You and I, I'm in... You and I have, as you and I have discussed, that's uh, important to me because it's only a short ways from where I grew up, uh, just across the Virginia border, actually, from from where you are. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you and I ever talked about how you ended up in Sparta. Well, you know, uh, my wife and I were looking for a, kind of a change of scenery. Uh, I worked for Texas A&M Corpus Christi for several years as an assistant professor, loved teaching, but uh, frankly, I didn't really like the administration and all the rules very much. So I decided to, to start my own you know, private university, and as part of the university, the consulting, the test prep, we said we can go anywhere. So I went to visit a good friend of mine, uh, Evans Ralston, 
another surveyor in Sparta, and uh, he's retired here. And I said, this is the best place ever. So we spend our half of our year in North Carolina, half of our year in Austin, Texas, can't leave Texas, and uh, just enjoy the best of both worlds. Yeah, and two totally different worlds geographically. Absolutely, and surveying-wise, too. You know, surveyors in North Carolina, the stuff they do, it's a very different system than Texas. It's just unique. Yeah, I was talking to some folks uh, not too long ago that uh, they're having some kind of discussions out there regarding uh, licensing and um, their board, actually. I think their boards may be being reformed or, or their discussion of having their board reformed somehow. Um, it's one of the states, and I don't know, you might know the statistic, I don't know, but there are a number of states that have separate surveying and engineering boards, but it, it seems that most are joint boards. Sure. Think of Texas. Texas surveying board just got dissolved a few months ago, and as of January 1st, 2020, they're going to be part of the engineering board. And it makes sense because there are so few surveyors out there And it seems like the surveying-specific boards, they just create work for themselves, you know, to keep themselves busy. They have five surveyors being licensed this year. Well, they're going, if those five people apply, they're going to give you total heck to get that license. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And and I don't know... um that's a big question that always comes up is the future and are we going to have enough? Um, and, and I don't, I really don't have a clue what that answer is. <laughs> you know, we, we see what appear to be declining numbers through the NCWS statistics, although they're not, not as alarming when you actually look at what the statistics say as if you're in conversation about it. Uh, you know, sure. sort of licenses issued each year. And uh, anytime anybody asks me a question about that, I usually say, well, I don't really know because uh, the days are gone when we needed tons of people working on survey crews, um, and people can get more work done now than ever before. So I, I think it's a tough question to answer as to will we actually have enough people to maintain the surveying license or have enough people to warrant having a structure to have surveying license, and I would like to think that's true just because I'm a non-dual surveyor, but I, it, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know if you, I know you uh, are involved in a lot of different organizations, including the, the Sages Group, which has a conference coming up pretty soon, and I assume that kind of conversation goes on among that group. Well, you know, there are lots of different philosophical debates, you know, uh, at what point is a person really dead? I don't know. But there's got to be some kind of scientific method to determine. And we had this group, which uh, NCWS organized a couple of years ago, called the Future of Surveying. And I was looking at a picture of these people at their conference. And every single one of these people who were the, the thought, uh, the brain trust of surveying, they all had gray hair. And I said, we've got these, you know, 70-year-olds, gray-haired people, and they're going to tell us what's the future of survey? <laughs> I just had to laugh. 
yeah. But, well, I, yeah. I identify with that because I'm one of those people. Um, <laughs> not, not only the 70-year-old side, but I was part of that uh, future surveying thing, too. But you're right. It, it is a challenge in any case. Um, and not everybody in that group, I have to be fair, not everybody in that group looked like me age-wise. That's <laughs> what I like um, but um, it is it is a challenge because um, the other thing that that group had was it did, it did have some diversity to it because there were people who were connected to surveying in some way through other entities, uh, not just through NSPS and our state societies, but yeah, that's great. Uh, other entities that are involved in surveying. So there was certainly a broader uh, perspective than one would see if they were all you know, licensed surveyors like like me. Um, but still, it's it's such a hard thing to get your hands around. And you talk about okay, how are we going to promote it? What are we really looking for? A um, lot of challenges there. That I think you make a great point is okay, maybe we need to make sure we have more people of, uh, you know, younger people in the profession or coming into the profession who should be part of that because it's their future, it's really not ours. Yeah, they'll be the ones living it. And, you know, surveying has these big existential questions. You know, how much education is required to become a, a good, competent surveyor how many years of experience should you practice before you get your PLS? And, you know, we debate these questions endlessly. You know, I found an article in 1970 that was debating the education requirements of surveyors. And it seems like we just, it's good to debate it to get lots of different viewpoints, but we've got to be able to get some kind of scientific data that says, you know, if you have a two-year degree you're 20% less likely to be have a board complaint filed against you or some kind of like independently observed data that answers these questions for us. There's got to be a Ph.D. statistician that says the minimum number of surveyors required to serve 1,000 people is X. Yeah, and, I, and that may exist. I, I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> Me neither. It Me neither. Uh, that that would be a, a good exercise to undertake. Um, you would like to think, if it were to occur, that whoever that uh, scientific person is or statistician is would actually have some understanding of what the profession is and what it does. Uh, sure. And they would almost have to to make that type of a, an assessment in terms It's an exciting of, idea. I don't know. It doesn't exist, yeah. but I, someone should do it, whoever's listening. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one of our listeners will say, hey, there's a great idea. I think I'll do that. Uh, Go for it. But it, it seems as though it would be quite a daunting undertaking, really. I agree. You know, get the Bureau of Labor and Statistics involved. They make these projections every five years, I think. Have them figure it out for us. Right. You know, we work with them all the time. There's a, a group down in Raleigh called uh, ONET. Uh, what's a, that's a government thing, but the company that it's a research triangle that works on it. They're always looking at these various professions, and, and any of the ones that have a connection to surveying, they, they come to us and ask us if we can find people to participate in their studies. Um, and, and we do. I mean, we 
sometimes we have better luck than others. They just, they're just doing one on geodetic surveying right now and finding people who participated in that one from within the NSPS ranks was a little tough, although we got a number of people. Of course, the, uh, the geodetic surveyors group, I think pretty much everybody agreed to, to participate in, in that one, but it is hard sometimes to, to get we have all these members across the country, and we put out a, a call for, hey, these these folks are really trying to learn more about our profession, and they want to know what it is and what it's going to take to perpetuate its future. And it's a little disappointing sometimes that we don't get more people who are interested in participating. Sure, yeah. And, and anyone listening, I would really encourage you to get involved because it's fun. You know, I joined the ABET um, committee where we go to different surveying programs and we observe their program and try to them through ABET. Let me, inter- let me interrupt you for a second. We've got to go to break. We'll pick up on this topic when we come back. Going okay, Kurt? Yeah, I think we're doing fine. I was waiting to hear if I could hear the commercial going. I hope it's fine. I think it is. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. The Business Hour, from 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. Quickstakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 
800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today you're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com thank you for listening Welcome back, everyone, for our conversation today with Tony Nettleman. We've been having a really good conversation about serving a general and education and the need for surveyors moving forward. And, and I mentioned earlier the Sages Conference that's coming up pretty soon. We, A couple of our people, maybe three, I'm not sure, are going to the conference and doing a little presentation on what NSPS is doing. And that's one of the things we haven't been as successful at as I would have hoped we were in having a collaboration with the Sages Group to share ideas and sort of address all the issues that are important for us in the surveying profession because um, for those who don't know, SAGES is Surveying and Geomatics Engineering Society, I think that's correct, or Education Society, isn't it? Geomatics Education Society. And are you going to participate in the conference this year? Are you going to attend? Absolutely. You know, I go every two years, and it's always fun because it's in a good location. You know, we go to went up to Maine and had a nice day in um, Bar Harbor, uh, went out to Tyler, Texas, got to see some uh, central Texas area, and it's a lot of fun because we all have similar problems at these different universities, and we often share ideas and solutions, and people are smart, you know. You fight with a problem like buying equipment. How do you afford it? Well, someone's worked out a lease agreement, and they're sharing it with you. So it's a great place to to see your friends and to get good ideas. Yeah, you know, speaking of the equipment, I know um, our president, uh, Lisa Van Horn, is uh, working really hard to try to uh, get get us involved in working with some of the manufacturers and and expand those kind of deals that are out there because there some schools have have really good situations and there's some companies around the country that are doing a really good job of working with the schools and uh, it does seem to be a a big problem to be able to maintain having the equipment that you need um, to keep the program vibrant and doing the things you want to do equipment wise while at the same time understanding that maybe uh, you don't need every piece of that equipment all the time. So one of the thoughts is, is there a way to do a collaboration of sorts with, with companies where they can provide uh, equipment, make it available to various schools in a region, and they share it and use it as they need it. So I, I thought that was a pretty good concept. Yeah, it sounds great. You know, um, everybody wants the latest and greatest equipment, and I think it's important to have some good stuff because... When you get your first job, your employer expects you to be able to use latest equipment. You know, they're not gonna, they don't want to train you. They want you to come in and just start working. But at the same time, you know, you can't spend $250,000 on equipment if you have 20 people in the program. <laughs> it just right, yeah. doesn't, the math doesn't work. So um, uh, Ferris University, I went to a credit Ferris two years ago. And their equipment, I mean, I, I don't want to say what they have. I'm pretty going to be robbed. But it's, they have so much stuff. You know, they got so many laser scanners and 3D, 360 prisms. Well, why is that? 
because they have a graduate uh, of the program who's a like a equipment dealer and who helps them. So just like everything else in surveying, it's all about local relationships. And it sure would be great to be able to, you know, move this from local relationships where some schools have great equipment, some schools don't, to kind of a national program where if you're a, a main institution, you know, a big four-year program or a, or a well-known two-year, we'll help you get the stuff you need. Yeah, and that's actually the premise that, that uh, Lisa and our, our executive board have been talking about is, and, and you're right, there are some of those, and, and she's aware of those. Of course, Lisa's in Wisconsin. And, um, so there are those things that are out there and available for sharing. It's just that I don't think there's been enough emphasis on it to try to figure out how to make it work. And, and, I, and I get, I mean, on a, on a broader geographic scale, I guess, it's maybe a little easier if you've got lots of schools close together. But you would think that just getting the equipment, back and forth between the schools wouldn't be all that difficult with the ability we have now to transport things. Sure. And there are so many different firms in your city or your, you know, your county. I like the idea of, you know, giving a discount to a practicing survey firm. And can't the survey firms let the students have it for four hours per week, you know, Friday afternoons? Well, of course they could. But it's amazing how few institutions even talk to the surveying firms in their community. Yeah, that that's true, and and I think the vice versa is kind of true sometimes too. Uh, you know, we in the profession are so busy we we don't take the time to be involved. I, I know I've been involved in a, a few instances being on a um, on a value or whatever they call them the the, the boards that work with the schools uh, advisory groups um, and but I and I agree I assume most all the schools have that but it doesn't seem to me at least that there's that much interaction with the schools even from the folks that are are local you would think yeah that. I agree I agree years ago when I began teaching at A&M Corpus Christi uh, I I like to hold CEU seminars and conferences in my consulting practice, but I also teach full-time at different universities, so I offered the, the one-week field camp both to the students at the university and to the local businesses to get their technicians, you know, really core surveying knowledge, hands-on, traverses, level loops, you know, stuff people have lost with this GPS. And it was hilarious because we merged the different lab groups, half practicing technicians and half students, they had a blast, and they each group learned so much from the other. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that, that's true. Um, and and it's, I think it was a, gr- a great mixture, actually, to have the working technicians with the students because sometimes uh, if you're a working technician, and, again, I was one of those for a long time, uh, sometimes you feel like nobody really thinks you know anything. <laughs> even, even, yeah, exactly. And you have yep. a lot and of these, experiences to share. And a lot of good practical knowledge. But the thing is that a lot of technicians, they do a certain kind of surveying all the time. You know, they're, they're construction surveying technicians. So the students may learn an incredible amount from them about construction, 
but then the students just whoop their butts when it comes to retracing a boundary. So it's funny to to help both the students and the technicians round out their education and experience with some hands-on fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the things I found in my early years. I have I worked for a company that did pretty much everything. So we did boundaries and construction and design and, and pretty much everything you can do as a surveyor. Um, and, and that gives you a good breadth of experience. But you're right. There are a lot of places where that doesn't occur. People are, they're the, they're the, the stakeout crew or they're the boundary crew or, or whatever. They don't, they don't get to do other things. Exactly. So to speaking of programs, um, you know, we, we're involved in ABET. And, and get involved in that. We, we're the, the, the sort of the go-to organization for uh, evaluators for ABET. And um, there's always discussion about the programs around the country, you know, how many ABET-approved programs are there. And I, I know you've probably done some, some studies on that, too, or some research. Yes, sir. You know, it's been about two years since I wrote that paper in the surveying journal about the number of programs but it's funny how, you know, we have such a core group of ABET accredited programs, but there are also five times as many of, the, of those that are not ABET approved that are uh, offering surveying. And I know in Texas that it seems like every year one or two programs start up and one or two programs shut down. And there's this, you know, constant, you know, churn of surveying programs that happen so often, I can't even keep track of which ones are opening and closing. Yeah, and they vary in what they are able to do um, in terms of teaching. I know for years there's been this program here in Virginia um, that what was an, called an apprenticeship program, but it was a it was kind of a night school thing. And of course, Virginia sure. doesn't have a degree requirement, and and um, but it it was great opportunity for uh, survey techs to do their work throughout the week and throughout the, the days and then go to school a couple nights a week and actually turned out a lot of good surveyors in the long run. That's great. But I, you know, it I don't know like how, how much that... No, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Kurt, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I don't know how many things like that exist throughout the country and with degree requirements now, maybe it's it's not as much of a help as it was back in those days, but it, it it was good for its time, that's for sure. And it still exists because, like I said, Virginia isn't a degree state yet. Yeah, that, that does sound great. And I, I know that, you know, ABET accredited programs are a double-edged sword sometimes because for the people that have the ability to go there, you know, to take four years of their life to dedicate to studying without working or working part-time and, and have the... Um, you know, the, the math and science credentials to do well in them, they're fantastic. Uh, I'm a product of New Mexico State bachelor's, ABET accredited. You know, I could not have picked a better school to go to. I mean, the quality of instruction was fantastic. But I counsel a lot of survey technicians in my test prep business where they don't have the potential, they don't have the ability to go to a four-year program full-time, and there are very few options available to them where they can work as a technician and get the credentials to move up to a PLS. 
Yeah, that that is so true, and we're only a minute and a half out before break. But I know you have some information about that. Uh, you know, the continuity between the exams and the curriculum. And I also want to talk about this this endeavor you're undertaking that relates exactly to what you were just talking about. Because um, yeah, it's it's tough when you're trying to find ways to to work and feed your family and it's something you need to do and there's you still need the education as well and i said this so many times on the show the this whole idea of distance learning to me is is a great idea because i know there are a lot of really good smart people out there who just find themselves in a circumstance where they can't just stop and and go to school so uh, anytime we can find a way to uh, come up with a program to help them and that program be strong enough to um, make sure they can get to the exam and pass it and have all the credentials they need. And that, I guess that's a challenge to, as, as you go along. So when we get back, I'm really going to be interested in having you talk to our audience about um, this endeavor you've, you've gone on, this, this journey, I guess it is, or um, I'm not sure what, where you stand in terms of implementation. I, I think it's a journey. That's a good name for it. It, was a, it, it is and, and was a journey. Yeah, but we'll talk about you know, the journey when we come back. Let's, we got to go to break now, so we'll come back and then our last segment. I want to talk about that journey and, and where it's headed. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with our last segment today with Tony Nettleman, and we've had a lot of conversation about surveying preparations for it, what its heritage is, education, uh, licensure structures, and and those types of things. And that all leads us up to what I want to cover in this last segment, and that is a lot of the research that you've been doing on looking at that continuity between the college curriculum and the NCWS exams, and then this this endeavor you've just begun and. I don't know exactly where you are with it, but it sounds really exciting. So tell us about that. It is. Thank you. And, you know, years ago when I was a Ph.D. student at University of Florida, I got called in by one of the professors, and they told me they've got this amazing four-year surveying program, but none of their graduates were passing the FS exam, the Fundamentals of Surveying. Well, I shouldn't say none. I'd say very few. And they want to know, well, why? What's going on here? And... 
you know, you look at the curriculum in some of these land surveying programs, and you look at the um, the categories of the exam on these national FS and PS exams, and they're very different. You know, uh, A&M Corpus Christi spends half its time on GIS and, and spatial visualization. Well, there's four questions about that on the FS exam. So you see in some of these programs, they're moving more towards spatial data and less towards traditional surveying, whereas the, the exams you have to pass to become a surveyor are very, very heavily weighted toward traditional surveying. So I see this disconnect between, you know, surveying programs, curriculum, and what the surveyors have to know to get licensed. And, and that kind of scares me. Yeah, it sounds like quite a dilemma, really, because obviously you need to be able to keep up with the times in terms of the technology that's available and understand what it does for you. And and it's still part of surveying overall. Um, I think the where you get that diversity is or that gap is that the, the licensing exams, and I haven't taken one in a really long time, so I may be wrong about this, <laughs> but, but, but the licensing exams are really tailored more to to have you licensed as a a, a surveyor or a, or a property surveyor because the exams relate to laws affecting how you make decisions and all those kind of things. So I can understand where there would be uh, a bit of a disconnect, although in terms of overall practice and learning to become a more diverse individual as a professional, you, you got to have all of that stuff. You have to learn about the new technology, but you also have to learn about uh, how to get to you know how to get to the exam and how to pass that exam. And maybe the theory is that they'll pick that up once they graduate and go into an internship or something for a while. I, I don't I don't know what the logic is necessarily. Yeah, it, it's a big dilemma because you know colleges are meant to educate their surveyors for a lifetime. You know you'll get the education now, and this will serve you from when you're 20 years old to when you're 85. And while the licensing exams are really covering the topics that you know now to be a competent surveyor. So I understand there's this push and pull, but, you know, even having better knowledge of, like, GPS and other things in college would be great. And that's why I made my test prep business. It's because many of my students could not pass their national exams. So I built a test prep, uh, nlcprep.net, uh, .com, nlcprep.com, and that's why I built all these online videos to help my students. And after so many years and so many thousands of people who've gotten licensed with our program, you know, it's just a, a blessing to see practicing surveyors who got their license, and I got to help them. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that's uh, more rewarding for a surveyor than to feel as though in whatever way they were influential and helpful uh, to see your all the people who've gotten their license having worked for me over the years, and there's, I don't know, a dozen or 15 of them out there, I guess, um, but they're like children to me. <laughs> they're like my family. Uh, so it's something that you take personally. You want them to do well. Absolutely. You know, I'm only 32, but I've been teaching for about 10 years in the college environment, 
And when I go to these conferences, like in Alabama or New Mexico, to teach a course, I see my students from 10 years ago, and they're project managers, they're licensed, they got, you know, they're supervising 30 people, and like, wow, they were a student when I saw them last time, and now they're the boss. This is amazing. Right. So is the, the institute that you've developed, is, is its primary focus to sort of bridge that gap? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I started a certificate program one year, 32 credit hours, and almost all of it is online. There's one field course that happens in the summer for a week, but it's an online certificate, and it's meant to be for people who want to get quality instruction uh, but don't have the ability to, to stop their lives. So the courses are available to submit your assignments on the weekends. Uh, it's an asynchronous course. You can do your work, you know, quickly, or you can do it over a, a few extra weeks. And there are so many different state requirements. You know, Alabama requires 17 hours. Texas requires 32 hours plus a bachelor's degree. But you can take this course, this certificate, and you can meet all of the state requirements as long as you can go out and get an associate's or a bachelor's, that's required. But all the surveying courses you need to become a surveyor, you can get here. And there is no, uh, there is no lack of quality because of this is for, you know, real working students. These courses are tougher than any courses I've ever taught before. And I tell students before you sign up, this isn't like a, you know, diploma mill. This is a serious, undertaking, and I've had several students jump in and then say, oh, I don't think I'm quite ready for this yet. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, good, it's a good sounding board, so to speak, to get an idea of where you are, perhaps. Sure, yeah, and there are so many people who want to become sur professional surveyors but don't have the ability to dedicate this time and also, it's expensive. You know, you want to move across the country or the state to go to one of these big institutions, it's going to cost you five or six figures over the lifetime of the degree to get it for living expenses and, and missed work. So we've built this so it's very inclusive. It's for young people. It's for practicing technicians. And I even have uh, several people who are already surveyors take courses, uh, but they want to get licensed in another state, and because of that, they need extra college courses. So it's really a kind of a motley crew of students. Yeah, and I know it seems as though more and more of the schools are beginning to look at distance learning. Um, several fairly prominent programs have begun that in the last few years, and uh, so is, is what you're talking about... Um, comparable to what they're doing? Are you more focused on this certificate side for uh, maybe those who aren't in college now or um, don't have the opportunity to participate in, in, in even a distance program as a degree program? Yeah, it's a great question. And we build our curriculum based on two things, the NCWS, FS, and PS exams. That's one and then the surveyor body of knowledge that was published by FIG, the International Surveyors, years ago. 
So, you know, we're different because we do offer new technology, UAS, GIS, laser scanning, but the core body of knowledge is traditional surveying with an emphasis on the future, whereas a lot of these other universities, they have a lot of GIS and a lot of photogrammetry. Well, that's good knowledge to have as a periphery, but it's, it's scary how few ABET accredited surveying programs actually employ a single professional survey. Right. So you're, you're talking more about, for lack of a better term, the core. The, the Absolutely, you know, what the surveyors have to have in order to, to be professionally competent, that's our core focus as opposed to, you know, I, I worked at a university years ago in Florida. They hired an expert temperature measurer, and they, they did a temperature measuring course, and all the students just rolled their eyes. <laughs> what? So, and the purpose for having that person was for calculating temperature corrections? Very precise temperature changes. And, and that affects the surveyor in the woods every day. How exactly? Uh, that's what I said, but the issue was that they were going to lose their, uh, it was, this was a tenure-track position, and if they didn't pick the person and hire them in that academic year, they would lose the position forever, and it would revert to another okay. program. So they had to make a hire. They were under the gun, and the temperature measure was the best candidate. So yeah. I can't say anything, but uh, we don't do expert temperature measuring at the Nettleman Institute. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's uh, probably a good idea. We're a couple of minutes away from from uh, our time being up today, so I always kind of wait too late to thank you to my guests. So I want to thank you for being with me today. It's been a great conversation, and I think eye-opening uh, will be for our audience as well in terms of taking a, uh, another kind of look at, at education and what it needs to be and then that that practical side of, okay, what's going to get you to the to the license, what it is, what do you need to know, what's that core information that you need to know. Um, so uh, I'm, you have a website, I assume, where people can find you. LandSurveyCareer.com, LandSurveyCareer.com, and hopefully this will spark some, uh, you know, instead of being busy working all the time, head in the dirt, you know, think about these big questions. What does it take to become a surveyor? What's the minimum education experience? What role should the board play in your life? Be thinking about that and debate it at your next state society meeting. Yeah, that that's uh, great advice, that's for sure. Oh, and before we go, uh, I hope the, my, my cousin and her husband have great luck in selling your place in Tragic Gap. Absolutely. I hope, too. i got a beautiful <laughs> cabin in Virginia. It's a great place. It's a little too small for us. So uh, Kurt has graciously... Uh, volunteered his family members to sell my cabin for me, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, maybe some of our <laughs> listeners may want a, a, a nice view of Pilot Mountain and the North Carolina Piedmont. So. Beautiful place to go. If you ever get a chance to go on vacation, come to the Blue Ridge Parkway and take a drive. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, again, thanks, Tony, for being with me today. Our time's about up, but I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll be talking soon. 
Thank you, Kurt. Thanks to all your listeners, and good luck to everybody in their future endeavors. Great. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.